0: Hi, and welcome to the Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, deputy editor of Film and TV Craft at IndieWire, and my guest today is Katori Hall, who is the creator and showrunner of the amazing series Pea Valley, which is on Stars. If you haven't seen this one, and I know not everyone has Stars, you got you gotta go find this one. You gotta go check this out. It's great. And uh, this season of the Toolkit is sponsored by HBO Max. The HBO original series David Byrne's American Utopia brings the Talking Heads frontman's critically acclaimed Broadway show to HBO. In a -a one-of-a-kind film directed by Oscar and Emmy winner Spike Lee and recorded in its late 2019 to early 2020 run at Broadway's Hudson Theater in New York City, Byrne is joined by an ensemble of 11 musicians, singers, and dancers from around the globe, inviting audiences into a joyous dream world where human connection, self-evolution, and social justice are paramount. It's for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Variety Special and all other categories, and it's now streaming on HBO Max. And good God, is this thing and good? <laughs> the show itself was amazing, but the way that Spike brought it to life on screen was was really a, a remarkable piece of filmmaking. And I did not expect it. I, I did not did not know how this was going to work on um, on screen um, after having seen it. And it it it, it really is uh, was probably the biggest surprise for me of last year. Uh, if you haven't seen it, if you listen to this podcast, you probably already have have seen this. But you got you got to check it out on HBO Max. So good. And uh and now for my conversation with Katori Hall. Uh, this was a fun one. She's great, the series is great, and I, I hope you enjoy. Tell me about the origin of P Valley as a, as a, as, a, as a play as a theater piece.
1: Oh, I love um letting uh, people in on the inspiration. So, I actually grew up going to strip clubs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you know, it was just such a part of my Southern coming of age experience as a young black woman growing up in Memphis, Tennessee. And so um, you know, I had let's just say I have celebrated many birthday parties at strip clubs. And you know you go inside of the space and one would assume or you, you think some people assume that, you know, it's going to be like this sad, broken place where it's just like, oh, these poor women, these poor women. And that just wasn't the case when you step inside of a, a Southern strip club. It was, oh my God, I wish I could do what she is doing up on that pole. She is literally gangster walking on the ceiling. It was just like, you saw athletes on the pole. You didn't see sad, broken women. And so my own kind of just idea of a strip club was just completely different from what I I think other people's were. And so, you know, flash forward, I ended up taking some pole dancing classes. And child, I was a mess. I was so bad (laughs) at pole dancing. But it was so interesting that, you know, this kind of, you know, seedy kind of underground um, art form was beginning to be embraced by the mainstream. Like it was popping up in all of these, Um, you know fitness clubs and they were having like people were having like their own pole studios people ordering poles and putting them in their homes like there was like these soccer moms (laughs) that were just like you know taking pole dancing classes and so for me that was like boom I know that this is an art form I can see that other people are clocking it too and yet People don't understand that this particular art form comes from, you know, these black women down in the South. Like it is this culture. It is this vibe. It is it it is truly um, something to be explored and discovered. And so that's when I started interviewing women. I would go to all strip clubs, whether it was down south or up north from Philly to L.A. and just, you know, ask questions like, how did you get into this? Um, was it like a necessity or was it something that you wanted to do? And I mean, I got so many different answers.
0: It's not as, I mean, I think in culture, in in the cultural narrative of strip clubs, there, Mm -hmm. there's, there's a, there's a backstory narrative. That's kind of a trope that's accepted of, of these women's backgrounds. Right. And there's no, I think what I hear you saying is there's no commonality here more than any other, business world uh field absolutely
1: it's like there are women who needed money i you know i have talking to women i have talked to women who you know oh yes i I do come from a a challenging background like yeah i did grow with my dad was in jail and i had to kind of fend for myself but then there's another girl i talked to she was like girl i just needed to pay my dentist bill i had this tooth that needed to be uh, taken out and i didn't have any health insurance and so it was hurting so bad that i was like if i just do one night at the club i can get it taken out and then I'd be good." But she just was like, you know what? The money was just so good, Mm -hmm. you know? And she came from, you know, two-parent home, like, you know, four brothers and sisters. It was just like, everyone comes into this business because it is a business. It truly is. Um, It can be an enterprise for for women. It could be a step towards financial freedom. I mean, it can be so many things. And, you know, it is unfortunate that oftentimes there are some kind of, landmines in in the club like you, you do you know have access to excess especially if you end up making like tens of thousands of dollars in a week if you know Rick Ross rolls through it's like oh my god how about I go spend this 30k um but you know not everybody's like rocking and rolling like that there's just so many different um, versions of the, the 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 stripper, and for me, I was just so interested in making sure that people understood the different shades and the varieties, and like I said, the many different reasons as to why women um, decided to dance. In 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 the
0: in its original uh, conception, it's, a, mm-hmm. its 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 theatrical uh, conception. Yeah. What 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 aspect um, would I recognize from from the series?
1: You know, it's really the characters. Something that I always say um, is that when I saw the play, I was like, oh my God, this is a failed play. The, it, it's a complete failure. And that, you know, was it good? Was the dialogue cool? Yeah, the characters were great, but there was just so much going on. It it extended beyond the parenthesis of two and a half hours. And mm-hmm. so the thing that you're going to recognize from the play version um, that's in the TV version is the characters. The fact that, Uncle Clifford, LaMurda, Mercedes, Miss Mississippi, Gitchit. they're all just like intact as these 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 spirits that populate the play. And so for me, you know, that's the mark of a really good TV show is that do you want to spend years with these people? Do you want to see them grow? Do you want to see them fail? Do you want to see them fly? And so I just basically pulled them off of the stage and created new given circumstances or new wish given circumstances mm-hmm. around them but in terms of their backstories most of their backstories pretty much stayed intact and I just pulled the story thread from there
0: correct me if I'm wrong your background before the series was was largely theater right and playwriting? absolutely yeah you're, absolutely. you're a writer first but and and it was it was for theater right
1: yeah I've only staffed on TV once Oh, would you would you staff on I staffed on the show called legends okay sure sure mm-hmm
0: Yeah. But I guess I guess that was before this. Yeah, that was before. uh, Yeah, this is like
1: 2014 or 2013.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I'm wondering then, I mean, you're outlining a a reason, kind of a serialization reason why this needs to to move to from from the stage to screen. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering what. I don't know if the first step is a writer's room and finding people to, to, to help you find a, a structure and a, a way to turn this into a series, but it, it's fascinating to me um, how much this does feel like it's organic to the screen. It's hard for me to even imagine as a theater. So I'm wondering what that process was like, and I don't know, is it starting with the writer's room? Is that, what, it was, what was the first step of for you in terms of um, turning this into a series?
1: Interesting. I must say that, you know, with theater, you know, you, you had this one set and the, the strip club was that one kind of space that we were populating. And I was just so excited to be given the opportunity to break, you know, beyond the walls of the strip club. And Mm. I felt like that, what, knowing that I could literally go in, into everyone's homes and, and meet other people uh, uh like their family members or or whatever that made me start thinking about um the show beyond the stage and so I will say that the writer's room was so key because I had to experiment it had to f- kind of birth itself it had to reshape itself into a television series um and I, I do remember like that like people don't know this I had three writer's rooms I had a mini room where it was like more like blue sky, like this is kind of what I, where I want to end. Then I had like a 20-week room and then I had like a 22-week room. And before that, I had a pilot presentation. So I had ample time to figure out when uh, I was being a little too theatrical or, or, or when I kind of hit the bullseye when it came to being more cinematic. And I will say that I was always aiming for cinema, Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I, I'm not a movie buff, but I, I love and appreciate the moving image and because the, the truly theatrical thing about the show is the dancing mm. and the fact that it is a f- art form that does demand uh, a witnessing, so to speak. And I was just like, if I could collide the dance with this idea of lensing a story, that to me just all automatically puts it into a more um, cinematic frame of reference, and therefore it, it in a weird way, like you were saying, it felt like it was made for TV versus like you know starting in theater and then you know, being um, kind of like pulled, kicking and screaming <laughs> into you know the TV form. Um, it, it 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 was. It, I think because the dance is so center and the dance in itself can be a moving image. I think that's kind of what, um, has helped it transition into the TV medium in a more organic way.
0: I'm wondering even just from a story, I want to talk about eventually filming the dance, Mm -hmm, but I'm mm -hmm. wondering about as you're writing and obviously, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of um, dancing up on stage in each one of these episodes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I wonder even in terms of thinking about that in terms of story, how, it's not a musical. I don't, th- I don't think you would pre, you know, it's like, no. it's not, it's not, it's like, this is some, some, some expression of, of, out, you know, internal <laughs> breaking into song and dance, but there is, there is character. It is, you're constantly in character. Um, it's not purely dance. It's it, there is characterization here. I'm wondering about how, how you thought about that early on in that writer's room about where, where how dance and story interact interact. I definitely want to talk about the filming of the dancing, which is is really interesting, but I'm just thinking right now in terms of story, you know, how did you think about that?
1: It's interesting. I, my rule was the dance scene has to be a scene. It has to have some kind of beginning, middle and end. It has to have a dramatic structure. And so You know, each dance sequence, whether it's, you know, Mercedes kind of like doing her big old Mercedes Sundays number or it's, you know, the Trinity dance where the women are kind of coming together and then like a fellow dancer is kind of coming in and busting up their group like it, it is revealing character. And it is pushing the plot forward, and I felt like if that was going to be our kind of um, guiding principle, it was really going to make the dancing exciting because it it it's not operating just as texture; it's literally a part of the narrative track it's that's what makes it feel kind of seamless it's not like oh my god let's stop Mercedes dancing let's watch it okay now let's start saying our lines it's like no she is actually being transformed within her dance we are learning something about her we're learning something about the audience the space the other dancers anytime they're up on that pole and so I felt like you know, that was the only way that we could make the dance interesting um, and serve the story. Because, you know, you only got, you know, a certain amount of time they giving you. (laughs) So you got to make every minute count. And I think that was the way to make sure that um, it just didn't feel like gratuitous or just there for just, you know, the the glitter effect. It actually um, worked part and parcel with the narrative.
0: I'm curious and maybe we could talk in terms of um, Autumn here, mm. um, you know, how um, because she always there are issues that are very often private in the sense that we and yeah. only her and I only only me, the audience member yeah. of her kind of know what's 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 going on with her yeah. as she does this. I'm wondering how that. And I don't know if this is collaboration with the actress. I don't know if it's choreography or whatever, but how do you then make decisions about the dance in Mm -hmm. that, in that sense? Because I don't think you probably just write in the script and then autumn dances, right? It's like, there's something there, there's a story in the dance too. So I'm wondering how, as you think about, and I just think about her because her arc is so dramatic and there's so Mm -hmm. much going on with her when she, she does go to dance. how, how, How do you approach that from a story standpoint based on what's going on with her?
1: And she's she was our trickiest character because, you know, she's the new girl. She's coming in and she doesn't she didn't necessarily have a sounding board. She didn't have someone who knew her, obviously, because she's coming in actually trying to hide her past. Um, and you know, she. It was. I will say, it's it's very hard for Autumn to make friends, and so in terms of always understanding what the hell is going on with her, it was incredibly hard. And so for her, the dance always felt like a way to escape her mm-hmm. past. And oftentimes, we particularly like her first dance when she auditions for the pink. You know, you get glimpses of the shit that she's running from. You know, mm-hmm. the the abusive guy. You know, there's a baby involved. Like, there's water. Like, what what happened to this girl? Mm-hmm. Um, and so often, you know, dance has been an escape for a lot of women that I've talked to. And so it, it I couldn't have done that, you know, in the theater world. You know, a, a woman up mm-hmm. on stage spinning around. Like, you can't flashback to you know, homeboy her like you know going to town uh, in in uh, uh in a in a house and so the dance it ended up for every woman being a different thing for her it was almost like she's working out her situation um un- unless it's like you know there is one episode where she actually is trying to be a part of the group a part of the team but like she's sloppy drunk
0: mm. and in
1: her, in her sloppy drunkenness, she's trying to once again medicate herself get away from the past and try to find the freedom that she sees these other women claim up on that stage. But unfortunately she ends up messing up the dance and that ends up creating more tension between her Mm -hmm. and her adversary Mercedes. So it was just interesting to, you know, for each woman to figure out not only their dance style, but what the dance does for them as characters, Mm -hmm. but also for the narrative.
0: It feels like that also. i wonder if you could, uh, I'll talk about Mercedes in that same Mm -hmm. sense. It's a different aspect of it, but it feels like, what you're talking about very much applies to her character as well.
1: Absolutely. You know, she's a preacher's kid and dancing not only has been a way to survive, but also to have a sense of purpose. I feel as though, and not only purpose, but also power. You know, she's this black woman living in this dilapidated town who is just trying to, you know, uh, have a sense of respect about herself and she doesn't look down on the art of dancing she thinks of it as art and yet her mother the town everyone around her you know just just denigrates this thing that she's so good at. And yet she knows that she's the baddest bitch. <laughs> she knows <laughs> that when she gets up on that stage, she's a super hero. And so for her, the dance has always been about reclaiming a power that is constantly taken away from her outside of the pink. You know, I was talking to my um, my DPs the other day and we, we have this phrase called the magic space. It's like the pink is the magic space for these women. Yes, oftentimes... Strip clubs can be seen as exploitative, yes. Mm. However, all of these women have found liberation up on that pole. For Mercedes, it's a sense of power. For Miss Mississippi, it's a sense of freedom. You know, she's an abusive. She's in an abusive relationship, and that pole allows her to get out of her cage at home and fly in the sky. You know, it. It for Gidget, it's a connection to her mother because her mother was a dancer. Like everyone, mm-hmm. just has. Uh, a A different relationship with the dance, and I think we do a good job in in kind of exploring that and making sure that the audience understands that for absolutely everyone everyone who touches that pole it's for a different reason you
0: know I was going to save the the more technical stuff to later, but it it, mm-hmm. it what you just said leads to the, the one question I really wanted to get to is mm-hmm. um, you're talking about the fact that in Dance is sometimes seen as exploitative, or, mm-hmm. it, and sometimes it is in our society, uh, these strip clubs can be exploitive. And then there's this other element, which is, um, you know, filming it, right? Because yes. there th- th- there's this idea yes. of like, th- you know, there is an element here of you're still going to be showing um, yeah. women, uh, outwardly trying to be sexual and in mm-hmm. and, and dance and then there's the image of them and yep. and and your your show is not an ugly show you know and so it's like there is this element of like you know there is an element of perspective mm-hmm. but i have to imagine that based on what your goals are here and listening to you talk about character and how much that is built into story there is a huge fear here of like how how you're going to film this. Absolutely. And so I, I have to imagine this maybe is an on uh, evolving process. But I'm wondering, I Nancy an incredible cinematographer. I think mm-hmm. she shot the pilot, and yep. then your your pilot director. I'm wondering if you could talk about that process of yeah. figuring that aspect out, how you solved it, and and you know how you avoided. I I, I imagine I imagine what I'm telling you right now was probably at some point a nightmare scenario of yours. And so I'm not presenting a problem that you probably didn't (laughs) think about for for weeks and months of like, you know, my
1: my dear Chris, there were (laughs) landmines all over the place. I was like, oh, my God, how can we film this in a way that's not exploitative? How can we film this in a way that does not perpetuate this? idea of the hypersexualization of black women specifically you know i i know that history i have that history on my back and as a black woman it's my responsibility to make sure that if we are telling this story you know we tell it truthfully and honestly like these women do take off their clothes to work however because there's an athletic component to it i made sure that anytime we lens the dance we were much more interested in capturing what these women's bodies could do versus what these women's bodies looked like and so by focusing on the strength the flexibility this just outstanding skill set versus the nudity i think people understood like oh okay this is not just you know a show where we're just going to be looking at tna <laughs> you know for the, for an hour um, this is really about, yes, it just so happens that these women um, are often nude or or nude adjacent uh, in their job, but golly, look at what they can do. And it's not even just about being able to climb, climb up on the pole, like twerking in itself is an art form. The way you walk through a room, it's an art form. Exotic dancing has many, many, many different levels. And I felt as though, we allowed audiences and also you know the the dancers themselves and the actresses to literally step into a world dance in a world with no shame even though there's so much shame put upon it it's like no this shit needs to be respected it is hard to twerk i still cannot twerk i cannot isolate my butt cheeks i am still trying to figure it out neither can i (laughs) you see chris (laughs) see so just just honoring the fact that you know it may look sexual but it's actually art um and it's in and the female body uh in its ability to be more flexible than a man's body more sensuous there's something to be appreciated um about that and there's nothing to be ashamed of and so you know there were some rules I would say or I wouldn't say rules but guidelines that I put in place with Nancy, with Karina Evans, our pilot director, you know, we made sure that we've never lingered on a woman's breasts for too long. Like, yes, the breasts are out. And so we would see them, but it was just like, they're there and boom, and we're gone. We also kind of leaned into shadow with our cinematography, like the fact that we have these women kind of dancing in and out of pools of light, it forces the audience to kind of complete the picture for themselves. Instead of just being like, okay, here we are, bucket ass naked. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's kind of embrace those principles of noir to actually um, create a, a sense of respect um, for for these women and what they're doing, um, and also just respect for our actresses because it's really hard. I, I can only imagine, you know being in front of 300 extras and just kind of literally be physically out there and emotionally out there. And so it just really helped, um, them and us to just be so thoughtful and considerate about how we wanted to make sure we, we, we visually articulated a a very, it can be a very sexy and sensual experience, but we decided, you know, we're always going to do it with respect. We also made sure that we didn't like cut up a woman's body you know, oftentimes when you see women or, or like particularly strip club, uh, strip clubs on TV or in film, they'll like literally cut off the woman's head and all you'll see is <laughs> like the boobs and everything down below. And we're like, no, a woman is a whole person. And in order for us to understand what she's going through, we actually need to be closer to her face. We need to be in her POV. And so it was like those things, you know, framing, um, camera movement, p- camera placement, which allowed us, I think, to, I would say, put forth a more respectful um, articulation of the strip club experience.
0: We're just going to take a brief pause for a message from our presenting sponsor. The HBO Max original special, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air Reunion, brings the Banks family back together. Series star Will Smith will be joined by series regulars Tatiana Ali, Karen Parsons, Joseph Marcel, Daphne Maxwell-Reed, and Alfonso Roberto. Oh, Of course, Alfonso. Love that dude. Uh, as well as recurring guest star DJ Jazzy Jeff. For a funny and heartfelt night full of music and dancing in honor of the series that ran for six seasons and 148 episodes, the Unscripted Special looks back at the series and the cultural impact it has had since its debut 30 years ago. 30 years? Jesus, I am old. Oh my God. It's four-year Emmy consideration for Outstanding Variety Special and all other categories and it's now streaming on HBO Max. And now for more of my conversation with P Valley creator Katori Hall. It it feels to me also like um, the the onlooker, the men. Mm-hmm. We often experience them through the mm. dancer's point of view, right? It mm-hmm. is, it, right. It's like it's like what you're talking about is putting on a lens on the dancers. Yep. that is That is compositions and lighting that that play to um, a. a a celebration of of their athleticism and form, but it also feels to me like it's not through always. It, it's also careful not to be through the 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 patrons' eyes. Yeah, and it, in in a way, the patrons. Bec- and I don't think I realized this until um, things got heated between Andre and and Autumn. And she's mm. <laughs> you know, it's like suddenly you know she's looking at him in a sexual way. But that yeah. I started to realize that. In a, to a certain, am I right about this? To a certain degree, absolutely. the men are, the onlookers are, are through the women's point of view to a certain degree,
1: right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that the blueprint centers um, their experience first. Like you know, the fact that the story is being told about women um, from their POV, it automatically, you know, forced our camera placement to be a little bit more uh, within the women's gaze. And so, yes, the men do feel more like, you know, they're being interrogated, you know, from, from our perspective versus the other way around. And it's something that we're going to play with uh, a little bit more in, in the upcoming season.
0: Because I really feel like that Autumn Andre thing really for me in a lot of ways, and it, it maybe it's it, that's somewhat that's pretty early in the scene. That not only you're talking about empowerment, celebrating, you know, a place, a, a non shameful place, but it, it, it can be erotic from the woman's point of view. Absolutely.
1: And, right? Absolutely. That was, that was, I, feel
0: like, <laughs> I feel like it's not just being careful. It's just, it's like, you know, it's <laughs> it's, it's putting every because your show puts everything out there. It's not, it's not, it's not, sometimes people are trying to be so careful with things, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. ends up being bland. Do you know? Mm-hmm, and it feels mm-hmm. like, I, you're talking about being careful with the camera, but it doesn't feel like at all, you're ever like, oh, I'm not going to do that with the story. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to not go someplace with it. And mm-hmm. so, it, it just, it's one of the more, um, incredible scenes that I've seen is that the energy that develops between those two and the, those early episodes.
1: Absolutely. It's, it, 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 it's interesting, you know, oftentimes women come into a space, especially when you're a, a, a kind of a stunning woman, right. And you, you can feel a man's eyes on you. And what I loved about what we got to do is we were able to see how, Autumn was able to kind of utilize the male gaze in order to empower herself. Like, for example, in that, in that se- well, I think it was the second episode where she's given this lap dance
0: mm-hmm. and she's
1: on, you know, not only Andre's lap, but Corbin's lap, you know, they're trying to mm-hmm. do a deal. And um, we could have, and I will say we attempted to um, just do a oneer um, in in that scene. And what ended up happening was that all we saw was just like this naked woman laying on on these two men's laps Mm -hmm. and the the necessary coverage just wasn't there so I was like oh my god we have to reshoot the scene so the second time around I was like I want to see them from her perspective like even from the point of like like the the camera being like looking up because she's literally you know bending over like on the ground, trying to get her money, but she is in a position of power, even though she's lower than them because she's using her ears to eavesdrop on their business conversation. And um, I will say people were, the powers that be were a little like, oh my God, you know, she's so, she's so out there. She's so naked. I remember I got a, um, a note on set. Um, someone kind of flew in and was like, is there any way for the lap dance not to be a lap dance? And I was like, then it wouldn't be a lap dance. And she would not be close enough to hear, you know, the secretive information. Yeah. And so um, it was so interesting to that initially we had filmed it, I would say from the Gaze, And mm. then we saw our mistake and decided like, no, we have to ground. We have to track her eavesdropping. We have to be in her eyes. We have to watch her watching them. And sometimes, you know, just be watching them completely. And that allowed, I think, the audience to understand that, oh, my gosh, these women who we think are, quote unquote, lower than or they're not in a position of power. They could actually use, you know, this dance as a way to get what they want. And that is to kind of like get control, get information, use, like I said, a man's gaze um, to their benefit.
0: You were talking before about the importance of lighting and all of this and shadows. And Mm. and, and, and I mean, I think these places are often dark, but you're also playing with that light and using Mm. that to your advantage. I'm curious about um, how you, Nancy, and I assume maybe Karina, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. landed on this idea of so much color in the light. It's going to be dark, but it's going to be color. Absolutely. Uh, it's very effective, but I'm curious uh, the, the journey to making that decision.
1: Absolutely. So, it you know, it really stems from noir, traditional noir, and the fact that it was just black and white. And so for me, it's like, well, boom, if we're, you know, doing contemporary or kind of like a, a neon noir, we need to just flood our frame with color. And the fact that we were lensing. Um, darker skinned people and and the different shades of Black folks, we just knew that color would allow for the luminosity to just spring out um from their skin the fact that you know we didn't have to blast that much light into their faces but it was really much more about reflection and the fact i mean i just think about like blue light on dark skin and like and pink light um it makes it otherworldly but it also just makes black folks look beautiful to see these Stunning colors, especially when an actor has those kind of like blue undertones or golden undertones in their skin. So we were thinking very much from the the perspective of just wanting to see Black people look beautiful on camera. You know, very much inspired by you know Barry Jenkins' Moonlight and the way that he um, saturated his frames with color as well. Um, those using those neons and and like I said, it just it just created um, these beautiful shimmers and reflections on the surface of, of, of our actors and actresses skin. And I think that's what uh, makes the show so singular the way that we are so attentive uh, and careful when it comes to lighting black skin.
0: Um, you know, often if I were to use one word that I feel like maybe kind of defines your approach to this series, it's, it's authenticity. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I'm very curious about, and obviously um, this is a world, you know, just, mm-hmm. I mean, in the sense, and, and, and I'm not. When I say a world, I'm not just talking about the strip club. I'm talking about the South. Yes. I'm talking about where these people are, and so I'm very curious about the process of because I, you shoot in Atlanta, right? Yeah, we shoot in Atlanta, which is, south, which is the South. I'm not trying to say it's not, the, but it's not. It's but not it's the city. South it, it's it, city. Yeah, it's city. I'm very curious about because, but I guess the thing is, is that a lot of these. I, I think the pink is a, is a set, right? It's like yes. these are these are man, these are and and. You have great artisans working here, but I'm very curious about that process of, mm. for someone that is so um, concerned about the textural authenticity, both in terms of story and how things appear, mm-hmm. about the creation of the pink in this mm. space, not just from a story standpoint, but the sense that it's going to have that feel and that look. Because I imagine your bar was probably very high. How you know? Uh, how you yeah, know? You know me. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I can almost see you. Katori, the smell's not going to come through on the TV. I need the smell. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Amen to that. I am so particular. I, I mean, I'm freakishly particular, which is why I think a lot of people like to work. With I got to tell you, it
0: shows. I've never been. I've never been to a Southern strip club where where, where you grew up, mm-hmm. and I know. Just it's one of these things, and you can you watch enough movies or television, you know the ones that have the authenticity in the feel. Mm. And I, I don't, I'm not, I'm a northeastern boy. Uh, I'm obviously white too, but I mean, it's like, I don't know. I know this world is so authentic. The minute I watched like five minutes of the screen, mm. and I, I just wanted to say that, right? You just know, you can just feel it. I'm, yeah.
1: No worse. No, it's it's. I, I just really am blessed in regards to. All the artisans working on the show from the uh, Jeffrey Pratt Gordon, our production designer, to our costume uh, design team, Rita and Alita Bailey. Like, I I know that I am so blessed. And so for me, everything is related to story. For example, I remember when we were in the champagne room and Jeffrey had put up um, the mirrors and the mirrors were clean. And I was like, no, Jeffrey. (laughs) <laughs> no 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 and he was like "But, but like why why would they have cleaned them i was like this is the reason why i was like uncle clifford don't got time to be cleaning these damn mirrors and it used to be a cotton factory from many moons ago. So there's all this dust. There's all this shit. There's all this stuff kind of like living in the space. And so it's kind of settled on the uh, the corners of the mirrors. And so there's always going to be this layer of dust. I know it's extra work. I know mm-hmm. it is. But if we can put this extra layer of dust, it will actually make the light hit in a different way it won't be as sharp it won't be as contrasting it'll be a little bit more diffused because we have like it'll always almost feel like there's um Mist in the air. We just got to make sure that there are holes, there are cracks, there are crevices in this space. This is what makes it authentic because this place is history. It is a museum. And he was like, oh, and like, you know, uh, you know, from, from jump, we were always interested in what are the layers like, okay, this wall here. I see that it has this particular sconce. Has someone bumped into it? You know, was there like, you know, a fight one night in the club and like, boom, boom, it, it got dings in it. So literally every inch within that space has been thought out to the point where like even the stage, the old floor it used to be an old juke joint. We made sure that the juke joint floor had been distressed and sanded down, but that it was present even when the stage poles are up. Like that's how thoughtful we've been uh, in creating
0: the pink. Mm-hmm. Now I realize that, um, uh, you're in the midst of, uh, I think you're getting very close to season two. You're probably yes. like deep, 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 deep into prep. <laughs> um, you know, I, am curious about, so I, 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 I'm not fishing for spoilers. I know, I know, I know better than to do that, but I am, I am wondering though, in that, you know, you know these characters, maybe you have to some degree a sense mm-hmm. of um, where they were going from the start. Mm-hmm. But I imagine that process of creating the first season, you start to see larger structure. You start to see larger mm. things. Do you have a sense to, in this, going into season two, a sense of um, how this world is going to evolve and for how, like, you know. Yes. Is there, is there a time limit in your mind? I guess that's a better way of saying it. Is there yeah. a, Is there are you now in your mind like an arc of where this is going to go and land or is it just be, are you one of these more creators? It's just like living with these people, letting them kind of guide you. Um, and then you, you, kind of figure out story around that.
1: I do have an arc in mind.
0: You do. Did you from um, I, the start? Did you? I from did. The f- I, okay, from, right.
1: from the moment I pitched it to the point I remember they were like, ah, ah, okay, you can stop. Okay, ah, ah. They were like, just, okay, just give her a shove. Yeah. I've known. From the moment I pitched it, where I wanted to end, where I wanted to end it, yeah, I know where every character's like landing places and how it looks and how I want the audience to feel um at the end of this journey, but you know I don't know if I'll get all of that, but I at least I have that pathway in yeah, my know, mind
0: you know it's it, you know where you're headed mm-hmm. and and as you and once again, I know it's probably not fair because you're about to start, but i do I feel like there's always um Approaching season two of a show, there's always these things. Okay, this is the thing we did really well. We want to build mm. on it. We're moving away. You know, it's like kind of. It's not to say that season one isn't great, but there's always that idea of like what we learned what? Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. where we want to go with that, and kind of like dial in, maybe pull back here, dial in there. I'm wondering, kind of like big picture. Once again, I know we're not talking spoilers, but like you know, what is that thing that those kind of mantras for for season two beyond the immediate story points that you're really kind of really trying yeah. to dial into and and grow the show. I
1: say um the one thing that I wish we would have done better last season was get inside of the dance a little bit more and so me and my dps are working out a a new camera system to see Mm -hmm. you know how close we can can get without like you know doing gopro and whatnot and so I'm really excited about those possibilities because I think once again it it really I think would help sell the idea of dance as narrative. If you could actually kind of see, you know, the dancers, even if they're like doing group dances or whatever, like Mm -hmm. seeing how they're interacting with each other in the moment as they're up on the pole. So I'm very excited about that. And the one thing that I think we did so well last season was that even the smallest of characters, like the ones with the least amount of lines felt important. Mm. Um, they felt real. They felt like they were part of this tapestry. And I think we hit on a, a really great recipe for that in in season two, where, you know, um, it, it is a club and it does need to feel like so many different voices and people are kind of pushing in and out of that space. And even though we do have our kind of core characters at the center of that, that tornado, mm-hmm. but, you know, to single out, you know, little You know, this this small character and that small character to me makes it almost feel Chekhovian in a way, um, which is something that I think we did a really good job of last season.
0: Uh, Talking about trying to get inside the dance more. Mm. Could you talk a little bit about the process, you know, in that sense of you write a script, you talk Mm -hmm. to the character, you talk to the actor about it in terms of figuring out the dance Mm. is there is there someone there that's helping you is there a choreographer is it it, 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 i'm wondering what that collaboration is like because i imagine you the starting point is you and your writers have a have a scene you have a character beat and then it be and then you're you're bringing that to actors. i'm wondering if you could talk about that figuring out that dance as it in in collaboration with a choreographer and a um And, you know, I guess probably camera and and also, uh, of course, the actress.
1: Absolutely. So we have this amazing choreographer named uh, Jamaica Craft, who Mm -hmm. uh, has two really amazing assistant choreographers who dance, um, Samayla O'Neill and uh, Izama. And what has been so beautiful about the process is that, you know, because she has these actual exotic dancers, uh, pole dancers working with her, she can like be in kind of constant connection with you know what it's like to be up on the pole and then figuring out like these constant transitions for camera because she's also a director as well so she's always thinking about okay this move would be really great for a steady cam shot this move would be really great for a crane shot and because I have her like uh. she can interpret what I put in the blueprint of the script in in ways that um, are visually stunning but uh, are also just very safe. <laughs> so so in,
0: a, so in a sense I'm I, not that it's a direct parallel but it's in mm-hmm. a sense that some of these stunt coordinators are also second unit directors mm-hmm. when it comes to their, not that that's, I'm not trying to, it does feel. I hear I, what you're saying. It yep. sounds yep. like that maybe as this person that's designing the movement is also to a certain degree playing a, a camera role in, in not just designing the movement of the of the, of what the actress does but also in relationship to the camera to a degree. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And we lucked out in that all of our kind of core background dancers, they Mm -hmm. used to dance at, you know, different clubs down in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And so they also help her figure out the choreography. And that goes to what you were saying, authenticity being our guiding principle. The fact that we had women who are, you know, connected to the the strip club life and then brought that authenticity to the stage or rather Mm -hmm. to the um so the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, that process ends up, you know, being quite a long process in that then we have to teach the actresses,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: their pieces of dance. But then obviously they have doubles as well. And so it ends up becoming like this folding process. And then on the day, obviously you have your actress, you know, uh, do close up. And and do the dance as to, to as much as uh, uh, as she can, and then the doubles kind of like take on the more mm-hmm. um, strenuous and kind of like stunt heavy. Uh, Mm. dance sequences and it's a process you know last season we did not get to rehearse with camera before the day as much but i will say that is definitely going to change um for this season where we'll probably you know get an opportunity so that the camera um can just you know learn the dance a little bit more and also be able to dance with our dancers so that we can i think capture more visually stunning shots
0: Listening to you, I'm wondering when you're gonna get behind the. Uh, maybe a, I mean, maybe as the showrunner, it's just like it's like the last thing you need is another. But because maybe you're already having such a heavy uh, hand a heavy in load. all of this, it's I, a also a heavy, heavy hand. hand in these decisions. You know, in that yeah. sense that you know. But but is that is that something that we might see? Is 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 uh, is, is episodes directed by yourself?
1: I will be directing an episode this season, Good. so I'm super Great. excited about that. Yeah, the, it's funny. The actors are like, "What are we going?" directed by you i'm like
0: oh do you want to be directed by me (laughs) (laughs) well because i mean you know listening to you obviously you needed to you're you're obviously the creative force here and these just listening to your involvement in this um it's you know the idea that you are the showrunner is 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 obvious but that's a big deal to have done that in the first normally someone that was going down your path would be handed the showrunner role, maybe uh, season two, but like, it's like, kind of like here, we're going to give you a vet for season one because you know, it's like, there's a lot going on. Was it, it, and you did amazing and clearly you've got a vision and clearly, you know, more importantly, you know how to translate that with all these talented people and so that they can carry out your vision. But was was that insane to be, to be in this experience and to, to be a showrunner in this, in this first season or was it?
1: it, it, I will say (laughs) that yes, it was Freaking
0: insane!
1: <laughs> um, so challenging. The cha- and and you learn that sometimes show running is not about being creative or being a writer, but more about um, being a manager of souls and egos. And that's okay because I'm a mama and I know how to do that yeah. <laughs> with my two kiddos. Um, and I must say, I really enjoy being a showrunner. I there's nothing else kind of better. Then it to a point where I'm like oh I may have to leave theater and like just focus on TV <laughs> for the long haul but no 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 I'll go back to theater but yeah <laughs> I really 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 love doing it and um, you know not everyone has the showrunner gene um, the yep. showrunner gene requires you to multitask in ways that um, can be infuriating. But, you know, somehow I've been able to figure it out. And I, I think that's why they're, they've kind of like, okay, let her go. <laughs> let her do whatever she wants <laughs> If that's what Katori says she wants, just let her have it. Like we've kind of, we're getting there and I'm uh, very it thankful. Was, it,
0: it was, it was, it, usually they're not that, they're usually they're far more careful, but clearly it was a, the right choice. Clearly it was the right choice. So, uh, I, I love this show, and congratulations on Thank it! Thank you so much. I, I can't. I can't wait. Do you know? Do we know when we're going to get to see it?
1: No, we don't know yet. Uh, but okay. it'll. I'll, hopefully, we'll know soon.